Welcome to Disruption Land. Welcome to Disruption Land. Welcome to Disruption Land. The unconventional take on all things innovation, tech, and transformation. Join us as we explore the ideas and impact that might just change, change the world. world. Hi ho, and welcome to Disruption Land. Disruption Land, as I'm sure you've understood by now, is not a country. Rather, it is a space for exploring the trends, the tech, and the transformation upending business, society, and life as we know it. Disruption Land is not so much a place as it is a state of mind. It is where bold ideas are taken seriously. I am Hannes Sapiens, and I'm the Chief Disruption Officer at Epicenter. Today, I am your Virgil and your Beatrice, guiding you through the purgatorio and the paradise of our algorithm-driven future. In our last episode, we dug deep into the different categories of data out there, how to qualify them, how to protect them, and how to give them value. And amen, big data makes the world go round. And above all, the ever-growing flows of data is making our machine learning systems smarter and more capable. Because ultimately, data is dumb, and it's the insights we're after. In the world where everything is data-driven, and the data flows are already many orders of magnitude beyond our human comprehension, we need smart algorithms to filter out the relevant insights for us. We feed our algorithms, our machine learning systems, with this data. The smarter and more capable they get, the greater their need for ever bigger and ever better data flows become. They want more. They are insatiable. And they should be. To unpick this, the topic of today's episode is the world of hungry algorithms. In this podcast, we invite experts from the Epicenter ecosystem who are working on solving real problems through the application of modern technologies. These are not people who just talk about the tech and what they do. They are really fighting in the trenches every day in developing and innovating new solutions that will transform both businesses and entire industries. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Andrea Lancicinetti. Welcome. Thank you. Andrea, you are data scientist and co-founder of the company InfoBalin. Yes. And you are also a PhD in statistical physics. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your background and your field of research. Yeah, so I've been studying statistics and physics for quite some time at this point. It's been 15 years. And um, yeah, it's a really interesting field because statistical physics has been there for many years. And originally they start uh, studying gases and things like that. And uh, it has been a, actually the core of statistics. A lot of things that we see in statistics today, like entropy, for example, actually come from statistical physics. Even the Gaussian distribution. I mean, that, that has been discovered in statistical physics as well. And then in the, you know, late Maybe in the recent years, maybe 10 years ago or so, it got more and more into machine learning. And physics has approached the machine learning angle from an interesting point, I think, of you. And that has been network science. 
So I can tell you briefly what what that is. It's please, uh, yeah. So a network is uh, basically a collection of nodes and links. And you can think of uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the web, for example, where you have the nodes, which are the websites, and then you have links among the websites, like this page connects to that page. And around the yeah maybe ten twenty years ago, that was a big thing because of page rank. Mm. So the way Google ranks pages, that was based on this uh, on actually seeing the web as this giant network and. Uh, If you know how page rank works, you have this uh, basically the score of a page depends on what they called backlinks. Exactly, that was used to be in the good old days of the internet. Yes. How many people were actually linking to exactly. a certain web page? And uh, exactly, also people put up a lot of fake web pages yes, at that point yes, to, to yes. improve the rankings. Yes, that, yes, that's exactly what happened. So the, sort of gaming the algorithms of of that time. Yeah, exactly. And then they had to spend a lot of time trying to find it. And it was yeah, exactly trying to find all this sort of fake th- links and so on. Mm. But the, the core idea is, uh, it's called a centrality measure in network science. So you have the, the core idea of how the devil, the algorithm is, imagine that you have a random person surfing the web and from time to time they click on a link and then you ask, okay, if you do that, what happens? Which which will be the pages that will be most visited? Mm-hmm. And this is an algorithm that, you know, is in the field of graph theory and network science. So that was somehow sparkled. It was like ignited, the ignition of, of the field in a way. And then there was Facebook, which was also social network. So that was another big thing. And then LinkedIn came. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and YouTube uh, with the video recommendations, yeah, exactly. which is one of the most powerful ones that we see uh, and which is also being debated, of course, because people are worried that we are creating these filter bubbles. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You are just recommended you watch a yeah. hundred videos of X and here's another yes. one. Right? Yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, and for Facebook, you, you have the, the same problem and so on. So basically, the, the, this all, the word, it looked like networks were a really important thing in understanding how people behave and what people see and how people interact with friends and so on. On. And physics somehow, and a lot of statistical physics got really interested in this network thing. And they started developing theories about, you know, how the networks are created, how the people navigate these networks, how new links are formed, how social interactions work, how people travel and so on. And there have been a lot of applications around these problems. And uh, one of them, for example, that is very popular now is how uh, diseases spread mm-hmm. through the airport networks. Most important, yes. Uh, the the epidemi- yeah. epidemiologists have uh, yeah. become the center of attention yes. uh, very much. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, and uh, I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, computational epidemiology has been developed around this idea of how disease spread through networks. And now, unfortunately, we can't really use it because all the network has been, has been shut down, basically. But yeah, normally for the flu, it was actually, there have been a lot of very interesting results. And uh, yeah, so my field has been very interested in, in this in this specific angle. Yeah, tell us uh, about InfoBalin and what you guys are, are building and what problems you are solving with. Yeah, so we specialize on a specific kind of this of this network where you have two entities. One entity is typically the users, the people, and then you have another entity which is uh, something they interact with. And this can be many things. So the classical examples uh, that, that you actually mentioned before can be YouTube, for example, where you have people watching videos. So you have people on one side, you have videos on the other side, and then you have the links are people interacting with, with a certain video. But it can be other things. It can be, for example, genomes. So mm-hmm. you have a person who is, could be a patient, for example, and this person could have some genetic variations. Mm-hmm. So for some, some genes will be the reference, so they will be normal. For some, you actually have some variations with respect to the standard human genome reference. So those will be your interactions that you have. So this kind of network is called a bipartite network because it has two parts. You have people and you have interaction with some things. Mm-hmm. It can be genes 
can be movies, it can be videos. It can really be pretty much anything. So what we do at the company, we, we work with this specific kind of data. And uh, what we try to do is make predictions. And one classical thing we do is we work a lot with groups. So for example, if, if, if in the case of the genomes problem, the group can be if you have cancer or not. And, and then we try to predict the probability that you belong to the, to the control group or to the patient group, given the interactions that you have in your genomes. That would be one case. If it's YouTube, it will be a different uh, scenario. It will be a, a group can be, for example, people that like to watch this podcast. Mm. So, you know, you have a certain people that watch this podcast mm. and then you want to find other people that would like to watch this podcast. So that would be what Facebook calls a lookalike audience, for example, or a similar audience. Mm -hmm. So in, uh, in that sense, it becomes uh, a recommendation system. So the, the core technology that we develop in the company is really deal with this kind of abstract concept, mm -hmm. this abstract graph, and then we have different applications and we're trying to explore different verticals that can fit into this, uh, into this model. Okay, so it's uh, the uh, the first sort of problem you're solving is connecting, for example, advertisers yeah. with a potential audience. And yeah, that, this that's, is that's an interesting thing, yeah. target group for you yes. because of all these factors. That yeah, so you we can identify in the in the data sets. Yeah, exactly. So the the for, for us the most natural application of of our technology was of course in in that because of course there's you know basically the whole internet runs this way. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of data and you know relevance mm -hmm. is super important. Important, you know, if you have a limited budget, but it's really super important at this point because one of the biggest trends really in the industry is personalization, mm -hmm. and uh, and these trends, there is no doubt, absolutely no doubt, that it will continue. And there's, you know, a lot of it's it's really important to to be super relevant, mm -hmm. and and that was one of the biggest potential that we found, and we tried to exploit that as much as we could, of course. But now now we also try to explore this. You know, personalization is not just uh, getting personal recommendations or getting you know watching you know. Then the Netflix kind of experience is it will also be medicine will be mm, probably mm. more and more personalized. We treat people with completely different genomes and yeah. a lot of other factors in similar ways, and obviously we're moving beyond that. And and personalized medicine is is a fascinating field. I just want to yes. pick up on the I think brilliant name that you have chosen for for your uh, company, right, right. which is Info Balin. Yes, uh, Balin whale obviously being the big filter feeders like yes. blue whales. Eating yes. tons and tons of krill, and who are sort of filtering the oceans. And yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. why you picked that name? Because I, I just love the metaphor that sits <laughs> in that name. Yeah, um, yeah. Every time I have to explain the story because actually it's it's a really uh, it's a word that I didn't know before, and most people actually never heard before. But yes, a baleen is a filter that the whales have. So there are two kinds of whales. There are whales that have teeth, um, and there are like sperm whale. And there are whales that have this filter, like the blue whale, for example. And this filter is called baleen. And the way the filter works is exactly as you said. They swallow a huge amount of water and most of this water gets filtered out and all the food is, is filtered, right? And they, and they eat that. So the, yeah, so the idea was exactly this one that, you know, there are, there's a lot of data out there and we try to filter out all the noise and get the relevant information. So that's what we could, it's info baleen basically means info filter, but mm. info filter wasn't as cool so yeah <laughs> totally agree it's, uh, yeah <laughs> uh, it, it's a lovely picture and also because when i i thought about this podcast episode i i think about big data as this ever-growing phenomenon and then we have the hungry algorithms yes who uh, as uh 
you know, they grow increasingly smarter and capable simply yes. because we can give them more data, more yes. information, and perhaps above all, better information. So it's a, it's a powerfully self-reinforcing process we're seeing in these learning systems. And um, what what's your take on, on how this is evolving? Right yeah, now? I mean, there have been some really major breakthroughs as everybody has witnessed in the, in the last 10 years. And um, one, one of the things that have been most impressive for me is the generative networks that has been... The GANs. Yeah, the yeah. GANs. The gener- that, that has been one of the explain things. That, 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 yeah, I can explain for, it briefly. Yeah, yeah, so basically the goal is to generate new content. So it's it's a, it's a different angle from the personalization content. So the, the personalization branch, if you want, is about predicting what will happen next for that single person. So that's that's a really important. There's a lot of work going on there. This is another, another branch, mm-hmm. if you want. And this branch is about generating new content. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is that you train, you, it's, it's kind of interesting. So you have two networks mm-hmm. and they play a game. Mm-hmm. One network generates images. Mm. And uh, in the beginning, it, it's really bad at mm. doing that. So the images look really, really bad. Can we call it, it's like a, a person making fake money. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. It's, it's like they're making fake images, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's another player mm-hmm. in this game mm-hmm. who compares the image that the generator has created mm. with a real image, mm. a real world image. And this player is called discriminator. Mm. So it needs to guess which image was fake and which image was real. Mm. So in the beginning, what happens is that the generator is really bad mm-hmm. and the discriminator is They are saying 99%, yeah. okay, this is fake, this is forgery. Yeah, exactly. But then what happens is that this gives a feedback mm. to the generator. So the generator gets a little bit better and the discriminator needs to catch up. And in mm. the end, they, it's that's why it's called adversal, generative yeah, exactly. adversal they, network. It's because a competition. The, it's mm-hmm. a competition between these two players. Mm. And the trick is that if they are able able to play the same level, they mm. both get better. Mm. Mm. And so it's actually really hard to, to make that because uh, in the beginning, one will be much stronger than the other and mm. the other cannot learn anything. So you need you really need to, to play the game well. Oh, okay, in the, in the beginning, yeah. you meet, need to make the discriminator or the police yeah. uh, not as smart because yeah. then otherwise the other guy the will, not, yeah. will never learn. Yeah, that's, 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 that, that's one of the biggest challenges mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. because the... Yeah, it, it basically, if you play against uh, Michael Jordan, you're not going to learn anything, basically, because you're going to be you're <laughs> going to be beaten every time. I won't even see what's <laughs> going on, right, right? So you get negative feedback all the time, mm-hmm. and you don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. So you need to get some positive feedback as well. So that it's it's a really fascinating method, mm-hmm. right? So if you get positive feedback from time to time, then you say, okay, I'm going to explore this direction, and then you can get better at that direction. So they they need to play on on, on the same level. So that's that's actually quite tricky to do mm-hmm. on a technical standpoint. But yes, if they can, you know, many people, many smart people work on these problems. And now we have some algorithms that are quite amazing at doing that. So, uh, and after it's not just about images anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be text, and it can be music, for yes. example. Yeah, so, so it's it's quite it's quite impressive work that has been done. And uh, and then they once they get trained, it's basically really hard for a human as well to do the discriminator job. So in some cases, it's you know, it's fairly easy, but in some cases it's, it's incredibly hard. Mm. You know, we have seen fake images of, of people, of actors, of mm. manga characters. Mm. Now there's the face up that basically, mm. you know, you you know, that transforms you in, 
your female version. Absolutely. On and, the Snapchat and filters, for example. Yeah, Snapchat filter and so on. So, I mean, that has been, a lot of work has been done there. It's That's one of the things that most impressed me in, in, the, in, the, recent, in the recent years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, OpenAI, for example, opened up this uh, music generator. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you saw it. You can go to the website and check it out. And it's pretty impressive. You Basically, they, you can give to the system six notes mm-hmm. and then it will generate a song. I mean, it's instrumental. Nice. Starting from those six notes, it will generate something. And I've seen an example where they put together Chopin and Bon Jovi. Mm. Only six Sounds n- nice. Yeah, only six notes. And then somehow we blend it together. So that's been quite impressive. And the other impressive things has been with text as well. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's on, it's a, it's a different target. It's called They're not writing Shakespeare yet. No, yet, but it's or... it's quite impressive though. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, again, it's a similar system. You start with a few words mm-hmm. and then you will complete the sentence. Mm. And that has been actually quite quite impressive, I would say. So, I mean, <laughs> they did this game, for example, where they asked the system to solve climate change. Really? That's, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so they basically, what did it come up with? <laughs> it was fun. It was a competition and uh, there were, it was a student competition. So there were many students and uh, each one of the students has to write an essay about how to solve climate change. And then there, were, there was a jury and the jury had to come up with comments. And one of the students was at the AI system hmm. developed by OpenAI. And n- none of the people in the jury recognized that it was fake. They thought it was a bad student. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was not really fake, was it, right? Yeah. I mean, if it, if it was on topic, interesting. Yeah, it was quite interesting. I mean, basically, no, no new idea came up. That, 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 that's the thing. There were no new idea that were put together, but it sounded like you know, credible, credible, least, yeah. credible. So, mm-hmm. so that that's the thing also with the music. When you listen to to these kind of things, and also for the, the for the images, mm. I mean, they look credible. Is it creative, really, mm. or not? I mean, that's that's a little bit of a philosophical question. But at this point, I'm not really sure. You know, I, I I would argue, and others have as well, that ultimately it's not creative because it's always within the paradigm of, yeah. of what has already been invented. I mean, we needed Chopin yeah. and Bon Jovi yes. in order to create that space in between them yes which the machines could work in but we can't really yet at least expect the machines to go beyond or outside yes. that that sort of innovative space yeah so it would be very interesting to see what happens because i mean n- now it's still in the experimental phase mm. and you know people yeah sure they can have fun with filters in snapchat and you know mm. and, and all of that and there are, of course so it's it's interesting but there there are some very real applications i mean you mentioned several already in terms of machines simply doing the work of, of what humans uh, yeah have been performing yeah to me um, some some things that have caught my mind over the last year is how sort of live translation between different languages yeah. has improved yeah that's incredible it's quite amazing yeah that's uh, based on the transformer technology similar to the text generation exactly yes. so uh, the fact that uh, in these google translate apps you, yeah. you can translate voice live yeah between any languages it's yeah. not just english to spanish no it's uh, finnish to uh, yeah. to thai right and I mean, all kinds of combinations are are suddenly available and these systems are getting smarter, which is also the fascinating dimension of human learning versus machine yeah, learning yeah, because yeah. we humans, we forget stuff. Yeah, yeah. The machines just don't. Yeah, yeah. It's that, That's like one, one major breakthrough regarding that was when AlphaGo, you know, they managed to beat uh, one of the best players in, in, uh, in Go. Yes. In, in the game. That was... <laughs> 
But Man, then there was a breakthrough. It, it was started incredible. playing with itself. Yeah. And now, now it's basically, I don't think anybody can beat it at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was, so the, actually this brings us to the third branch mm-hmm. uh, that is automation. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, my, in, my, in my vision, those are the three big branches, personalization, content generation, and automation. They're all mm-hmm. connected, obviously. Yep. And the but, underlying technologies yeah. share uh, the same features. Yeah. But, but the, the applications, applications are different. different. Yeah. yeah. So w- when, when it comes to automation, you know, the, the classical example will be self-driving cars, for example, mm, mm, mm. or for example, a lot of work that is being done typically by humans. And now, you know, we are, we are more and more replacing it. And another example will be what Amazon is doing with the grocery stores, mm. where you basically, you know, that's a really interesting application where you have this, this tunnel where you put your food mm. and you don't need to scan anything. It will just go through. That's another example of how you can use uh, object recognition and, and things like that. And, and that's actually really interesting as well. And uh, it's, you know, my, my, my brother works in a truck company, you know, mm-hmm. he has a small truck company in Italy. And uh, yeah, so he's in the traditional business. I'm in the disruptive business. <laughs> You're telling much. him you should get uh, some algorithms into your uh, production lines. Or, yeah. I mean, if self, you know, people always try mm-hmm. overestimate the impact short term and underestimate the long term. So self-driving trucks, mm-hmm. most likely they will come. Of course, it's, uh, I mean, but driving on public roads is uh, a very, very complex undertaking compared to translating languages. Also, the effects of a fail is more costly. Yeah, Uh, yeah, definitely. So, which is why we have all the safeguards. And my take on this, and I'd love to have yours, is that we have been aiming very, very high with the concept of self-driving cars because it's a bloody hard problem. Yes. Incredibly hard problem. And yes, we can make them work 99.9% of the time perfectly, but we are not willing to take the cost of failure, which happens from time to time. Yeah, I mean... And that is holding the whole industry back significantly. But there are a million other problems that we can solve before we have self-driving cars using the same technologies. Yeah, so the, the... You know, what Tesla has been saying for a while at this point is that, yes, sure, uh, there have been accidents when people use autopilot and so on, but overall, significantly fewer accidents mm-hmm. than what human what you want to do. And I mean, and driving a truck is, is not necessarily the job that young people will want to do because it's it's very tiring, you, you know, it's very lonely job and so on. So yes, at one point, I have very little doubt that at one point the technology will be so good that we will be, you know, 100 times, there will be 100 times fewer accidents than what a human would do. Yeah. So at that point, it will be very hard to, you know, justify the presence of a human on a truck. Mm. It, it will come with with a cost. I mean, th- there's a problem regarding society. There have been, there have been done another example of, of automation that is disruptive is the e-commerce space. Mm. Mm. Where, you, you know, Amazon, the Amazon disruption with, you know, local shops versus e-commerce. E-commerce is so much more efficient. Mm. I mean, in the US now, I have a friend who lives in Seattle. You can buy a book and get it in four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at, at Amazon is truly eating retail yeah. in a lot of locations in yeah. the US. The malls are shutting down, main streets are shutting down. Or let's take the more optimistic perspective. I think public and urban spaces need to innovate. Yes. Because yes. still Amazon can't give you yeah, a nice cup of coffee in one minute, which is something a cafe can do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we simply have to reinvent. And unfortunately, now we had a pandemic, which prevents people (laughs) from going out to bars and enjoying each other's company. (laughs) But doing so is this uh, fundamental human need. And I don't think that is going 
to disappear at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's a it's a really interesting topic because on on one hand you have machines that are taking lots of jobs, mm. and there has been mm. some calculations done regarding you know because you, you might argue okay, but, uh, Amazon is uh, you know closing down a lot of businesses, but no, Amazon but, is improving the system. Yeah, I'm not negative. They're overall making the economy and the logistics and matching demand with supply yeah, in yeah. a much much better way than all these old shops. So good on them, right? Now we just need to learn to operate in this new reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So w- w- one question that has been asked is how many jobs have been created by Amazon versus how many jobs, you know, have to be replaced. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that, that's one angle that I think is still very important mm-hmm. because unfortunately it looks like the jobs that Amazon can create is a little bit fewer than the jobs that are, you know, the, the, so you need to get new jobs. Yes. You need to innovate. You need to create new but things. But ultimately, and this is a principal argument, it's not like the world is perfect yet. No. So there is a lot of job to be done. Yes. Just different jobs. So exactly. actually, I don't think there is a lack of jobs in, in the sense that there are a lot of things that needs to be done. What we are sort of struggling with is for the market economy to actually pay for all these things that have to be done. Right. And I mean, and uh, and regarding the new jobs that have been created, I totally agree with you. The human interactions will be more and more important because that's something that you just can't and you don't want to. I mean, people don't necessarily like robots that much, you know? And this has been an example with Boston Dynamics. I mean, Google has invested a lot of money, but in the end, people like humans. I mean, we, we are very social animals. So a job, for example, if, if you think of art, yeah, mm. sure, a computer can generate art, but art is so much more than that. It's also an inspiration. So when, when you see an artist performing, you just you don't just enjoy the music that's been created, but you also enjoy his story, mm. how he became an artist. So, and that's not that. It's not going to go away. Another example is nurses. Nurses mm. will never be replaced. Mm. There's no way that you have a hospital. I mean, at least, I mean, that's my opinion. I might be wrong. Who knows? Maybe you're yeah, still but... a biased uh, being a human here. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ultimately, yeah, we, I'm sure we can. I fundamentally agree with you that the human touch dimension, and this is a classical saying that doctors will disappear before nurses. Yeah. Because, because doctors have a different level of information processing as their responsibility. Yes. And machine learning can replace a doctor quicker than they can actually replace a nurse. Yes, because um, a nurse has the human touch, basically. Yeah. Exactly. However, what we're also seeing is that uh, we are increasingly capable in creating very human-like experiences, at least in the virtual domain. Uh, last year, there was a fascinating example in on Chinese television where they uh, made an avatar as a news presenter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, perhaps that's, you saw it. Yeah, yeah. It's available uh, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it. it's a very live-looking yeah. person. So they have generated this individual based on a, a real news anchor, yeah. and he is saying the news. Yeah. And I used to work in good old linear television uh, earlier in my life, and uh, these uh, news anchors, they're very well paid, right? Yes. But they still do mistakes or they uh, need to be on vacation and all these things. And they have very nice salaries. And the moment we can replace news presenters or weather presenters with an yes. algorithm that says exactly the same scripted stuff, that's never going to go back to, to having you yeah, yeah. do that job. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, it, it comes back to this problem with the discriminator. What is fake? What is real? Mm, I mean, mm, at one mm. point, the discriminator cannot tell and has human cannot tell and then it can be it can make the world even more messy than it is right because you can say yeah i don't know if it's true or not right and this happens already actually i mean like yes. google for example has this dual technology which makes phone calls and uh, you know they make uh, maybe you watch the videos yeah, That's google duplex, yeah. yeah duplex it's it's really impressive i mean the, you, if you're a restaurant you get a phone call from a machine mm. and you don't know mm. 
that's a machine asking. They typically book, you know, it's for book reservations and things like that. And the, the people answering the phone doesn't know it's a machine, so they freak out mm. when they know. Mm. I mean, it's 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 really yeah. That's gonna make the world even 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 more interesting. But my personal opinion is that yes, the example that you that you. you that that you put forward the, the with the weather, mm. yeah, that's that's an application that I can see working. But if you think of Hollywood actors, mm. I have a hard time imagining them disappear. To be honest, you know, because because there's again uh, there's this inspirational there's thing. There's yeah. very strong brands. Well, yeah, let me give you a brands, couple yeah. of observations on that yes. domain. Then, what I envision is first of all, we can now have actors that truly never disappear. Because we have a lot of video <laughs> of Brad Pitt, for example, we can ultimately generate yeah. Brad Pitt in yeah. a million movies yeah. a thousand years from now. Yes, and that's right. So we wouldn't need the the meat guy anymore. He can just sell license his sort of avatar, and he can be in a million movies at the same time. So that is also being dissolved in some way. And let me come back to an argument you made earlier, Andrea, which is the personalization. Yes. And here's my take on, on how personalization is going to transform Hollywood blockbusters. And that is that we all want heroes and characters that we can identify with. So what I'm seeing is that every movie will actually be tailored to the viewer. So maybe I want the person, the hero should speak my yes. local dialect or have some similarities to me or, or to my peers or, or, or sort of who I aspire to be. And then actually, a single Hollywood blockbuster will not be one size for all, but it will be a million different movies depending on who's watching. Someone would want a woman to be the lead. Someone would want to have a, a Swedish person as the lead with this, and we'll be able to give people that. Look at the smartphones we have today. Yeah. A smartphone today not just has awesome cameras. It also has the processing power of the entire company of Pixar, right? So Pixar used to make Toy Story movies and, you know, great animation. Anybody can do this today. Yeah, the, the whole creative industry, most likely there will be a lot of disruptions. I, I, I can totally see that. Somehow we will have to live together with the algorithms mm. when it comes to the creative space. Uh, that That is very likely to happen. We, we need to learn how, how to use it. And uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a really ex exciting time, I think, for, for artists. And hopefully, I mean, what's most likely going to happen is that, you know, it's going to generate basically all new uh, opportunities, uh, basically new industries, really, mm. uh, most likely. But let's take this uh, perspective that what we're actually doing, as as we do with any technology, is that we're democratizing it. Yeah. So it's not that, oh, the machines will do everything. No, we will give every human the tools to generate awesome digital content. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually I, an I, empowerment I, I, tool and not sort of something that is making us less free, yeah, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be very similar to what happened with electronic music pretty mm. much. Mm. That, you know, you, you now you have, you know, in the 70s or in the 80s, now you have a computer that can generate music. But mm. in practice, what happened is that you create basically an entire new industry where people use computers to generate music and uh, yeah so that that's i think it will be some sort of of, of similar thing and uh, yeah and i think the human factor will always be in there mm. there will always be because be, yeah i mean at least that's my, my opinion there will always be an artist there will always be a human a human thing and even when it comes to games is another example that is really interesting and that's a lot of things are going on there because you know when it comes to games and virtual reality then you can have absolutely personalized experiences and uh, yeah that's going to be another huge industry that's going to it's already been disrupted basically by the guns really and th that that's going to continue and that's going to be even more for sure 
Andrea, we, we both share a profound optimism of, of the opportunities that lie ahead, but let's just observe and, and perhaps think for a minute also about, we hear a lot of hype. We yeah. hear, you know, these innovators and entrepreneurs and managers, we sometimes also feel that they overestimate the capabilities of these tools. And yes, short-term underestimate, long-term... Yes, short-term uh, overestimate yeah, exactly. and long-term underestimate, yes. But I think that we also have a tendency to oversell these ideas because we're captured by the visions of, of what we want to do. So if you could give an honest assessment of what you feel is lacking right now, I mean, what, what are the weaknesses and perhaps the hype dimensions of these technologies right now? What what have you seen that caught your eye? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. And of, of course, you know, when it comes to artificial intelligence even even the name in, in a way it's a little bit misleading mm -hmm. and it, it's related to this huge hype it's it's a good brand perhaps but you know people in the field normally prefer the term machine learn i mean that that's it's a little bit more down to the ground uh, i would argue i think the problem is that there's a lot of uncertainty of course regarding the future it's always been like that so that that's one one problem and people are really bad dealing with uncertainty because if we if we run this podcast we say yeah you know there are all these opportunities they might happen that might not happen, then you don't have a story. So in one way, of course, the media need to, you know, they are hungry for this hype because that creates a story. So that's one thing. The other thing is that a lot of people are, are afraid of disruptions. I mean, that's that's for sure. And if you, you know, Skynet and, and all of that, there are movies basically <laughs> around the idea of, you know, the crazy scientists generating this thing that gets out of control. And that's that's something that, I mean, it's not only artificial intelligence. Every, every time there are scientists doing some yeah. crazy experiments. Hollywood you know? loves to yeah. portray these technologies as scary. And I do a fair lot amount of public speaking and I always encounter these very, very powerful narratives that yes. Hollywood has given us. Oh, this is Gattaca or this is Minority yeah. Report. And yeah, yeah. ultimately these scary stories, they shape people's views on these technologies yeah. in a very profound yeah. way. But you as a scientist, you surely look beyond these sort of uh, <laughs> public uh, opinions here. So, But if you should put your finger on what you feel that these technologies and algorithms are lacking today, what would that be? Yeah, so I mean, th there are lo lots of challenges. So so when it comes, for example, to, to self-driving cars, that just to be a, a specific example, a as you said, it's a, it's a really hard problem, and you know the, the big promise of uh, of machine learning and of neural networks and deep learning is to have what what is called an end-to-end -end system, where you basically get all the data, you feed all the data into the network, and you don't need to do any manual work; it will just work out. You know, without, without from yeah, it's, it's a yeah. it's it's a black box. So it it, it, do, it does all the cleaning, all the processing, extracts all the information it needs, and you don't need pretty much any human intervention. I don't think that's gonna work with self-driving cars. I mean, it's not just my opinion. It's you know, there are people <laughs> that are very well quoted saying that, and uh, it might be uh, that we're gonna need to actually aid, help a little bit the cars for self-driving. You know, you can have the, the roads might not look the same mm. in 10 years. Maybe we will have some signs that a machine can read along the streets. I mean, that, that was something that is lacking today. Well, we don't allow sure. people to yeah. drive their own cars on railroads, for exactly. example. We, exactly. No, those are for trains, right? So yes. perhaps we'll see a similar development for uh, self-driving vehicles. They actually have their own lanes on, on Yeah, on they highways. might have their mm. own lanes, so they might have signs mm. that the robots will read. So so one, one thing that is, is a lack in, in the conversation a little bit, I would say, is that, okay, we, we are, we're working a lot on the software and on developing new algorithms, getting new information and so on. But if you really want 
want to do this thing at scale, you also need to change the infrastructure a little bit. Mm. You, you also need to change the hardware a little bit. So that's one thing regarding the automation that I think is missing in the conversation at, at this point. Mm. I mean, of course, there have been some work done, for example, when it comes to, you know, if you if you go to a Amazon warehouse, mm. I mean, that's really automated mm. and you're going to see a lot of signs that only robots can read. Mm. So in factories, that, that work has been done. And I expect that that should also come more and more into society. And that's one th that's one thing that is is lacking at the moment, I, I would say. Regarding the, the guns, I mean, that, that's more of a just software problem, more mm -hmm. of a technological problem. And yes, as you said, there are a lot of applications. Is there some limitation on what guns ultimately can do? Yeah, can I mean, they that, only that's reach always, a certain level of intelligence? Yeah, so. that's, that's pretty much, again, in the unknown, mm -hmm. uh, I would say. One interesting thing there is uh, how creative they can really be, right? Which is a little bit of, of, a, of a philosophical question, if you want. But yeah, it's a, it's a really fascinating question. So, I mean, the biggest problem with that is that training these, these networks is really hard. And uh, yeah, so there will be more and more things coming out. Like, for example, only for, for many years, the, the guns have been able to generate faces, but like generating a full body technologically is really hard. We're not, I mean, now we're becoming better at it's it. It's not impossible, obviously. No, no it's but just, it's, it's technologically, I mean, the, the tech is, is, is really hard. And like, if you want to make a movie, for example, mm. I mean, there, there have been some attempts doing that, but you know, there is a lot more work mm. that needs to get done in order for that technology to really to really thrive, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that will take some time. But do you see any sort of hard limitations? Like ultimately, I sometimes hear that brilliant point that, you know, the, the ultimate limit is only the loss of physics. <laughs> coming, coming back to your, your field of, of yes. research ultimately. So anything it's that really, is not limited by the loss of physics, yeah. like speed of light or, or yeah. you know, what there is nothing that says that these algorithms cannot get incredibly powerful, competent, well, the, intelligent, I, I think and yeah. even exceeding human capabilities in many dimensions. Yeah, I, th I think the limit is, is is mostly the economical viability, actually. Interesting. Yeah, because at, at the end of the day, if people don't like them, they're not going to pay for it. And I mean, and they are expensive. I mean, running, training these algorithms is, is extremely costly in terms of power. I mean, mm -hmm. they consume a lot of energy to be trained. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, when it comes to AlphaGo, I mean, it's mm. it's, it's 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 quite fascinating. Like a, a brain of a human is around 100 watt. It's like a lamp. Yeah. But these algorithms are, are more like a truck. Mm. I mean, they consume a lot of energy and actually pollute also. So I mean, but that that is yeah. although subject to an exponential trend in terms of yeah, energy that's, that, use going down in in CPUs, right? Yes. So yes. We, but there's but as, as you said, there's what, what are the hard limitations there? Yeah. So this is where. <laughs> That's why, exactly, game, yeah? exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. That's why that's why I put it up because you said okay, the, you know, it's connected to the law of physics. Yeah, I mean, at one point, to be honest, it's really hard to answer exactly how good how bad CPUs can be because you have the Moore laws. And, you know, it's been cheaper and cheaper. It really boils down to, at one point, it should stop because it's really the law of physics that mm. you can't. You, you need energy to train these things, and you need CPUs, you need machines. Well, we are we don't yeah. lack energy in the universe. But it's, it has a cost. So if, if people are not interested, it will be, it will become, you know, you, we had this winter of AI, how mm -hmm. it's called, True. Where, where basically, yeah, that it could not have happened, uh, you know, and, and the reason is that if you don't somehow solve, you know, the business problem comes first and the technology comes second. So if people are not interested in that business application, then the technology would not be developed. I think that's the economic viability is probably the limit. Mm. When it comes to the philosophical limit of how smart these machines can go, I, to be honest, I don't have an answer. Mm. It's it's really hard to know. And it's also also the question of what intelligence is, is also hard to define. I mean, what, what do you mean by...
by by intelligence and mm. the, i think that what people think of intelligence is the ability to process information mm. get the right answer in a short time i think yeah, and I adapt think, yeah. to to new circumstances which is surely where we see certain of these machine learning systems are failing yeah because we humans ultimately can adapt to to very novel circumstances yeah exactly but the cool thing is that yes they force us to reevaluate our own intelligence yeah 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 i mean you know there has been this uh, it's yeah that's that's one of the angles that is also very interesting it's these uh, narcissistic wounds right mm, that that mm. humans have <laughs> created from themselves so many mm. i mean that you know that it's quite it's really interesting like before we first the earth was the center of the universe yeah, and we were and creating we are not, gods we're creating god we are yeah. not no, maybe monkeys, it's evolution yeah. it's probably yeah. I, I, I would say I'm a scientist step by step we're yeah, sort of and now moving we're not, down yeah and now <laughs> we're not even the most intelligent creatures uh, that we know so yeah that's uh, yeah that puts that really helps to put things in perspective but yeah re- one limitation used to be data okay so w- one limitation is economic availability the other limitation would be data w- with the gun thing that has changed because now they actually don't need the data because they can play against themselves mm. so that has been really a big breakthrough in uh, in that mm. so uh, yeah th- this also the what system only needs a, a small data sample sort of, yeah. or sort of the generator and then it can create its own data yeah. set so yeah and when the, it comes to games and enforcement learning mm. they basically just need the rules of the game exactly. and, and then, then they, they can learn yeah, and they play with each other so that has been a limitation that somehow mm. so yeah uh, it's it's really hard to know where where the philosophical limitation of this of this will be but in the end I, I truly believe that the problem comes first I mean every time technology is always you know that's what Steve Jobs used to say you need to start from the user you need to start from the problem and then you need to work the technology to solve the problem so you know at one point if we don't have a problem that needs to be solved it's not going to be solved if people don't care about solving that problem the technology will not be developed so i, I would argue that the biggest limit is not data anymore is uh, is really yeah are people interested in in solving this problem that, that at least that's my my impression yes i think that's a brilliant ending point yes that uh, we'll have to uh, come back to and think a lot more in the future andrea it's been a pleasure to meet you thank, thank you, you very, very much. much for coming to the podcast thank you Thanks for joining us here in Disruption Land. To visit us again, just subscribe to Disruption Land Podcast. This podcast is produced by Epicenter, the house of digital innovation. Discover all about our vibrant tech and business community and inspiring workspaces at weareepicenter.com.